0: Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com.
1: When Laney here. I'm excited to tell you about a brand new project I've been working on with Spotify. Every Tuesday, starting at 6 p.m. Central Standard Time, I host a live room on Spotify Green Room. It's an app that you download in the Apple App Store or Google Play. Every week, I upload the audio from the discussion to make sure you never miss an episode. The fun part, I've decided to create a giveaway. This episode is brought to you by Posh Peanut. It has quickly become my favorite clothing brand for my little girl, Tilden. And now, I have the opportunity to offer every listener that signs up 10% off their first order. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes. Then enter code Tilly at checkout. That's T-I-L-L-Y. When you place your first order and have your little one in their cute Posh Peanut outfit, be sure to use the hashtag Posh Peanut and tag me, True Crime Fan Club Pod, so I can see how cute your little one looks in their new Posh Peanut. Once again, click the link in my bio and enter code Tilly, that's T-I-L-L-Y, at checkout to get 10% off your first order. Hello, everyone welcome. We're going to be talking about uncovering the Zodiac, about the latest news that just came out. That was breaking news reported that the Zodiac killer has been identified. So I want everybody and give somebody, give somebody, give people time to join the room. I'm going to send out a little push notification to make sure um everybody has an opportunity to join us here so give me just a second I'm gonna send those out and then I'm also going to be posting it everywhere books are sold so yeah we have um some breaking news i thought it was so funny because i was literally on true crime convo's last night talking about btk and how he could have gone as long as the zodiac killer has gone with not um, being caught. And I thought that was so interesting that today, of course, they put out this email or this, you know, article saying that the BTK, or sorry, that the Zodiac Killer has been identified. And sorry, I had to take a drink. I'm going to go ahead and just burst everybody's bubble and say that the case still remains unsolved. It is not a case That is considered solved by the law enforcement agency that is investigating the crimes. Um, I'm going to pull up the article. So this article came out today and it basically identified this um, man. Let me find his name. Gary Francis Post or Posty. I'm going to say Post. Um, Gary, I normally don't name people who are suspected of crimes typically, but Gary has passed on and he is not going to be suing us (laughs) for using his name. So everything, of course, is alleged. We don't have official confirmation that this is true. Um, And that's kind of what I want to caution everybody on is just saying, you know, I know it's always exciting to hear that cases are going to or that cases might be solved, um, and that you know I'm, I'm thinking back to the Golden State killer of how everybody was so excited when there was rumors that he may have been caught through you know familial matching or through DNA, and a lot of people were going back and forth saying, like, "Yes, he was caught, and no, he wasn't caught, or hey, we need to wait, it's post perfect." um yeah. So, you know, I get it. I get being excited a hundred percent. But I don't think in this case, I don't know. I mean, if if it works and it happens to be true, then I'm super thrilled and excited that the families, you know, will get some answers. So we'll see who's up. Oh, somebody requests to speak. Hold on. Thought I got a little request and always feel free to jump up if you'd like to, but again, We just want to be responsible with our reporting and knowing that even though this is exciting information that we may possibly have, you know, answers to these crimes, it is not confirmed by the law enforcement agency that is investigating them. Okay, so sorry to be the bummer in the room, but we just have to be responsible with what we're sharing. Um, So this came from a team of independent investigators. They call themselves the case breakers. And they said that there were three clues that helped them solve, or they feel that helped them solve the case that led them to post. Um, The first one was that they think that he had a, what's it called? Like a scar on his forehead that matched what the, um, is, oh my God. I can't even think of what this is called. <laughs> the sketch look like of the Zodiac killer. So the people that he had um, given their witness statements, those images seem to match. Um, the sketch of the Zodiac killer. And I also just want to kind of make a note about the case breakers, um, because a lot of us in the true crime community are talking about them and we're very active on Twitter about this case. Um, They have come out periodically throughout the years talking about um, identifying D.B. Cooper and Jimmy Hoffa, et cetera. So let's just keep that in mind. So one of the main things they said is that Post had a bunch of photographs in his dark room. And one of those images that they found shows the scars on his forehead that match the scars of the composite sketch of the Zodiac Killer. they also show that the letters sent by the Zodiac Killer, they believe that in those letters, Gary Post's name shows to be an alternate message in those um, in those letters. So yeah, Sarah, if you want to pop on, feel free, just press the request button so that you can too, because definitely want to hear from you. And also, you guys, if you don't know, Sarah Turney is also one of the newest podcast hosts on Spotify for our podcasts, which is really great. Um, She's done a lot of advocacy work for her sister, um, Alyssa Turney. And so we always welcome what she has to say in our room. But yes, Sarah's made a very good point. If she had a dime for every person that claimed they know who committed a crime, you know, We'd be rich, and this is this is what happens in general in true crime, and it's very true. Um, so, there's also a link, a possible link to the death of Sherry Jo Bates in Riverside, California. Um, her death actually occurred two years before the other killings began, um, but they the, the authorities think that she's linked to the Zodiac because they had received a letter after her death that was linked to the Zodiac sending it. So he was like, Hey, I may have done it. Um, but there's also um, rumors that that letter was actually a joke and that it was sent, you know, kind of, even though it's kind of screwed up to do that, they sent it as a joke. So, you know, they, sometimes they think that Sherry Joe Bates is related to the Zodiac killings. And then there's, other cases or other in agencies that don't think that that's the case. Um, so I don't know. Uh, let's go into the chat and see what everybody else is saying. Yeah. And I was, I was in uh, San Francisco about three or four years ago. And so I went through, you know, all of the hotspots, if you will, of where the Zodiac was and passing by the Chronicle and everything like that. So it was really interesting to kind of relive that, if you will. Um so let's see. Eric thinks that Mr. Post looks to be a promising suspect. Um, and Sunday says that she lives in the area that he killed. Oh no, that's kind of crazy. Um, yeah, it's, it's a lot. So I don't know. I don't know what to think about it. I am, um, I'm might I'm, I'm just always suspicious in general about things like this whenever they pop up Um Let's see. Did the movie, did the movie hold any accuracy to who the killer is? The Zodiac movie with Jake Gyllenhaal. That's the only one I know of. Is that the one you're talking about Russ? Okay. Um, I heard that the movie and I can't remember. Oh my gosh. I saw it so long ago. Um, I don't know. I, I, don't think at all that it did. I think they took a lot of um, creative license with it. Of course, you know, with true crime, people have a tendency to do things like that where they take, um, you know, license with people's stories and make them into something that they aren't and exploit the family and exploit the tragedy. Um, We've seen that happen and it's not great. You know, it happens. Is it right? No, but another story for a different day. So just to give everybody a timeline, I kind of want to quickly recap the Zodiac crimes as they took place. So the first one we know of happened in 1963 in Santa Barbara. Um, Those were two seniors in high school. It was Robert Domingos and Linda Edwards. Um, They decided to go out to a beach and sunbathe. You know, they took advantage of their senior day, which a lot of people maybe back then had, we didn't have a senior day here. So I was like, okay. Um, So, you know, they went to the beach, somebody couldn't find them, their dad ended up, I keep getting a notification that somebody wants to come up and speak and I keep missing it. So if you want to just hold on and I'll see it. Okay, I promise. Um, So Robert's father is the one who actually found his son and Linda at the beach because they hadn't come home And so when he got to the beach, he found that they um, were bound and they had been shot twice Um, or sorry, they had been shot, but Robert was shot around 11 times and Linda was shot nine times. Like that's a bit of an overkill. So that says something about who the Zodiac is as a person. Um, This was an ambush, if you will, but he ends up doing this again and in 1969, he targets a couple, Sherry Bates, or what they think is, um... Sherry Bates, hold on, I'm sorry, I'm trying to get my timeline together, because I'm reading and reading chats at the same time, <laughs> okay, uh, let's see, yeah yeah, 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 okay, so then in 1966, we're going into Sherry Joe Bates' They think that um, there's a possible link here. She was a student at Riverside City College in Riverside. So she left a note to her dad that read that, you know, hey, I'm going to the library. And the next day, her vehicle's found abandoned in the library parking lot. So they're all very, you know, like suspicious about what's going on. Um, Eric, you're bringing up good points. Good job. Okay. So they're suspicious about what's going on. So they then find that her body is found between two houses near the library. She'd been stabbed several times and her throat was slashed. Um, And they found a military boot and some hairs that were dried on the victim's um, blood. So they think that there was um, with Bates's situation and her death they weren't able to obtain the sample of DNA to compare to post, but oh, I keep saying post to POS, but the team said that there were very clear links. So to me, that would kind of solidify the case. If the DNA that was collected from Sherry Joe Bates's, um case did match Gary Post, then, okay, great. You know, that says this case has been solved, but I don't think that um, that's the case. I, and I understand why they wouldn't give it, by the Riverside police wouldn't give it to them to test. Because, I mean, we think of DNA evidence kind of from a layperson standpoint as never ending, right? It's that you, you get this DNA and you have it to sample forever. Um, but once a DNA sample is used, it's degraded and, you know, it could be something really small that once it's used, it's gone forever. So people have to be really careful about how DNA is tested and when they choose to um, test it. So then another murder happens December 20th, 1968. This is in Benicia. This is where Betty Lou Jensen and David Faraday go out on their date together. And this is actually their first official date. Um, they saw that his car was parked in a Lover's Lane spot on Lake Herman Road in Benicia. And then somebody else passes by and notices that there's two people in the car who happen to be like slumped in the seats and they look a little lifeless. Um, So they ended up calling the police and they come to the scene and they see that Betty Lou has passed away. She had five bullet wounds in her back and that David was found next to the car with a bullet wound in his head. He was still breathing, but he was near death. Um, The interesting thing about this case is that the killer may have shot some warning shots. I thought this was interesting because you know, even though it's a, lover lane, a lover's lane spot, there's a potential that somebody's always going to be passing by, right? Like people who are looking to hook up with each other are going to go down this same road. So I thought it was interesting that they think he was shooting warning shots to kind of get them out of the car. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. It it kind of speaks to his brazenness. And if you guys know anything about the Zodiac Killer, and you don't have to, but if you do there's a lot of risks being taken by him during some of his crimes. And so it's it's really strange. And by all accounts, it seems that his his targeting of victims is completely random. You know, that he's going after sometimes couples. Um, in Sherry Joe Bates' case, it's an individual. Uh, and, and obviously we won't know if, if Gary is the person um, that is responsible for the Zodiac killings. We're never gonna know what led him to do this because he passed away in 2018. So even if the DNA is confirmed and I, and I, the reason I don't think that he is um, the Zodiac killer per se is because if they had a firm grasp on who he was, and I highly doubt that the case breakers, you know, um, didn't bring this information to the Riverside police. I mean, it's made up of former law enforcement. So To me, whatever they brought to law enforcement may not have been strong enough for them to consider testing the DNA against um, Mr. Post's. So I don't know. I don't know. What do you guys think about that? Do you think that that's a thing or, or not? I don't know. Let's check in the chat. Are David and Betty Lou Jensen confirmed? Yes, they are victims of the Zodiac killer. Those are confirmed. The only one who is in question is Bates. And the Texarkana Moonlight Murders is interesting too. Same. Yes, that individual also sought out um, Lover's Lanes. They're typically coined uh, the Lover's Lane Murders, and it happened in Texarkana. So yeah, that one has some similar... I would say victimology, but maybe not necessarily the same motivations if you will. now, does anybody want to come up and chat about what they heard today or what they've been able to read? I think what we also need to be cautious about is that we have the articles regurgitating the same information about these um, individuals or about this individual, so you're not getting any new information. They're basically buying article information from whoever broke the story first and putting it out there. So, we'll see. So, don't be afraid, feel free to come up, let me know if you think that, you know, if you think this is it, if this is the guy, what makes you think that? I'm always interested um in learning other people's perspectives on that. But I think based off of the article and what we've seen, those three clues aren't enough for me to hinge, you know, the thought that this is a solved case. Okay. So then we have another murder that happens on 4th of July in 1969. This is in Vallejo. So you have Darlene Farron. She's a mom, wife and a waitress. So she goes up to pick up her friend, Michael, and they stop in the parking lot of the blue Springs park. Michael ends up surviving this incident. So he's able to kind of give information about what happened, which is kind of the first time we're able to hear um, how this crime took place from an actual victim. So he tells police that there was another car that pulls up to them and it left, but then circled back around and came back. So the driver then gets out of the car, shines a bright light and then fires into the car um, with a gun. Michael, because of that, ends up getting shot in the jaw, shoulder, and leg, and then Darlene is struck several times. Then there's a call that is made at a gas station nearby, and the Vallejo Police Department gets this call from a man who claims responsibility for the shootings, as well as the shootings at Lake Herman Road. The caller spoke in a low, monotonous voice, saying, I want to report a murder. If you will go one mile east on Columbus Parkway, you'll find kids in a brown car. They were shot with a nine millimeter Luger. I also killed those killed those kids last year. Goodbye. Um, unfortunately, Diane passed away from her injuries on the way to the hospital. Michael survived, but he wasn't able to give a lot of identifying information because remember when the person got out of the car, they shined a, a light on them. And so- the one thing that i find interesting about that is there's the premeditation right of blinding the victim so that they a can't see you and identify you because this isn't the first time if he did if the killer is the same right if we're assuming this is all the zodiac if he did um blind them it was on purpose because previously another victim had survived so maybe he was making concessions for the fact that um He didn't want to give them a lot to go off of to be able to um, identify him. Okay, so let's go back to the chat, see what people are thinking and talking. Eric says, I honestly don't know what to think. It looks like the biggest thing running the story is the name they think is the Zodiac. And then Josephine says, I know, right? What are y'all's thoughts on the attention given this case? I'm interested, actually, Sarah, if you're still in here. I'm going to invite you up real quick if you're free to talk, because I I think this is a great question to ask you um, about the type of publicity that's brought to this case. And, you know, I can only speak from a perspective as a consumer and contributor to true crime. I can't speak from the perspective of my family being involved in this and a case happening so, hopefully, if you're still in here, you're able to come up if you can't, I understand um, I don't know if the notion of all publicity is good publicity in this case and as it relates to true crime. I don't know what you guys think about that um yeah i i can't I can't really speak on that on in in this case um, I think it's always good to bring. Cold cases up to the front of the line, if you will. Um, It's always hard to give cases the just time they deserve in the spotlight because there are unfortunately so many that deserve our attention. Uh, We could look at that from the Gabby Petito case as well. You know, we had individuals who were sharing Gabby's story left and right, which also helped other cases because people were out there searching for her. And um, there was some resolution where another person's body was found and their family was notified. Um, but then you have the other side of the coin where, you know, people want that same energy that everybody has uh, for Gabby's case to be given to missing and murdered indigenous women, people of color and um, gen- you know what I mean? So it's, it's hard to be able to balance all that because you can't like, I don't think you can fairly give the same coverage across the board. It would just be impossible. I mean, our, our news stations would be inundated with that. So I don't know, you know, how to feel about that. What do you guys think? Share your stories, share your thoughts. Um, so I think one of the most notable things about the Zodiac killer and why a lot of the focus right now from the case breakers is on the letters is because he, um, Oh, here she is. Well, if you want to pop up, let me know. Because I do want to, I I think we would love to all hear from you. Only because we love to hear you speak. I know I do. Um, So one of the reasons that they focus so much is because of the letter. So he sent several letters um, in 1969 alone. He sent it to the Vallejo Times, San Francisco Examiner, San Francisco Chronicle, and again to the San Francisco Examiner. This was all between July and August, so the last week of July and the first week of August that he's sending letters to, where he's claiming responsibility for the shootings and giving details about the weapons used, et cetera. So things only the killer would know. But some of the letters he's sending out to, like, the examiner and to the Herald, or sorry, I'm sorry, to the Chronicle, include ciphers. And so some of that information um, they believe is hiding the name of the killer and so that's why they think that Gary is the zodiac because apparently his name kind of fills out the uh fills out the or answers i guess the ciphers if you break them down in a certain way but again remember we've we've had decades to look at these ciphers and we've had the best brains in the world look at these ciphers and they couldn't crack it so are we lucky You know, did we just stumble upon this? Is this lucky? Who knows? Um, I don't know. Well, Sarah, what I was going to ask you is in relation to the question that um, Josephine asked in terms of the attention to the case, you know, is that I'm thinking more so from the victim's perspective. Um, Is all, you know, coverage, good coverage or not, or, you know. Yeah, and Josephine also brings up a great point that he created a lot of the um publicity. So there's also something about him that um wants the attention, you know. So are we giving in to him by giving him this attention if he's still alive? I mean, if it's post he's dead, so he's not getting it. But I'm I'm more concerned from the perspective of a person who, you know, has family involved in a crime from a Victim perspective and what that may do, right? so I think about the zodiac killers families, um the victims of the family and or the family of the victims sorry, I'm dyslexic <laughs> in word and speech um, you know, so I don't know if it's like, oh grown, another one, if you become numb to it, like what what happens if that even makes sense, and welcome.
0: Hey, thanks. I've never spoken on Spotify Greenroom, so I hope I'm doing this right. Um, But yeah, I mean, I have to say that I don't think that there's a perfect solution, unfortunately. From the little I know about the Zodiac case, it seems like this is a perpetrator that really thrives on getting attention. And that's definitely something to keep in mind. But, you know, on top of that, these these families still want justice. So I think that's the balance you have to walk. So as much as I wish that there was a perfect balance or, you know, comment, I could say here, I just there isn't one.
1: And I know you meant I mean, I follow you on Twitter, obviously, and I love you and the work that you do and, you know, the advocacy that you've done for your sister and the way that you're able to bring, you know, publicity, if you will, to some of these cold cases. And I know that with the... I know we're kind of getting off subject, but I definitely did want to engage in a conversation with you about it. Um, With the Gabby Petito case, I mentioned earlier how, you know, we have two sides to the coin about people wanting more publicity for, you know, lesser known uh, missing people, if you will. So like the missing and murdered indigenous people and for the people of color. Um, But also kind of feeling like it's taking away from the fact that Gabby was missing at the time and saying like, let me use this moment to advocate for all missing people. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. I mean, in that case is certainly complex. And I know that the family has since come out and said, we would love for people to cover other cases and these other cases, you know, need attention. So I think that that's definitely something to keep in mind, but that was, I believe after her body was found. So, yeah, I mean, the thing with that is, is imagine that your child goes missing and you go online and you have this amazing show of support. You have the entire world caring about the case. But then you have these people who are saying your kid doesn't deserve that attention. Your kid doesn't deserve it. Why is why does your kid? get this attention. I think that's what didn't sit well with me is that I think a lot of people were being unkind. I think that there is certainly a way to raise awareness for the fact that these other, you know, groups don't get the attention they deserve. That is absolutely a topic that needs to be discussed. But the way in which some people were doing it, I think was just unkind.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think a lot of people let their personal feelings get in the way of advocacy. Because you're right, there is a way that you can do this and say, like, yes, let's look for Gabby, but let's also look for this person, too. And we have to recognize that, unfortunately, even through um, Gabby's disappearance and ultimate death, it led to helping other families. You know, even her dad, who's been very active on social media, especially on Twitter, um, recognized that and said, you know, like, we were able to help or Gabby was able to help another family Because all of you were out there looking for her, you know, and I thought that that
0: was great. No, I totally agree. I mean, it sparked an interest in true crime. Um, I mean, obviously, there's a big interest in true crime, but I think it reached an audience that it may not have otherwise. Um, I think a lot more people care about The Missing because of Gabby. And yeah, obviously, I think that that's amazing.
1: Yeah. Well, I thank you so much for coming up. Honestly, you know, I love you. And I think everything you do is amazing and wonderful. And I'm so glad to welcome you to the podcast, Spotify family. Um, I'm I'm very, very happy for your success there. And I'm glad you're able to continue that work.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And thanks for having me. For sure. All right. Now, if
1: anybody else wants to pop on up, share your thoughts about the Zodiac Killer possibly being identified. Again, I am in the camp of wait until the actual law enforcement agency investigating it um, confirms it. I don't really, um, I I love a good armchair detective, trust me, even when they're, you know, law enforcement. But unfortunately, sometimes we do have individuals um, who, while they may have the best intentions, end up making a mess of certain investigations. So, I'm in team unsolved still, and there is possible DNA, but again, remember, we, we can't just test it every time a possible lead comes until it's something more solid. So I believe that if investigators get this information on Mr. Post and say like, okay, let's do an investigation into him. I mean, they're able to access everything now, especially because, um, he's deceased. So I, I, Either they're really into, you know, early on into getting this information from team Codebreakers or whatever they're called. Um, maybe, you know, they're just now looking into it and we'll get confirmation here in a few months. Like we had to wait a while for the um, Golden State Killer to be identified, positively identified. And that notice to come out, even though there were murmurings all around um the true crime world that this was happening. We have a couple of people in our sphere um, that have direct agent or direct contact with like Paul Holes and um Billy Jensen, et cetera, who were, you know, in the middle of that investigation while it was happening. Um, who were able to kind of share information discreetly about it. So there was confirmation prior to there actually being confirmation, but not in an unprofessional way that would compromise their integrity as investigators or, um, you know, while they were, what is Paul, uh, crime scene tech, I guess, or whatever. I forgot what his role was for some reason. Every time I try to think of somebody doing an important thing, I always forget, um, Claude says, I don't think it was about the search for Gabby, but more about the media coverage of her case. There isn't a denial that it is not equal. Yeah. it There's just a way to be able to bring those other cases up to focus. And I think Gabby's father did a great job of highlighting that in his message to the followers and supporters um, that he was able to gain traction on in Twitter. So very interesting, <laughs> interesting stuff. Okay. So Back to the story, if you will. I hate saying that, but, you know, back to the case of the Zodiac. Um, Another murder happens after he sends all of these letters. So his last letter was on August 4th of 69. And then September 27th of 1969, um, he ends up committing another crime and leaves a message on the car door. And this happened with Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard. They were... Relaxing. If you hear my dog, apologies. He's fine and is in good health and spoiled. Okay. So don't be concerned. <laughs> um, so they were kind of just hanging out at the shore of Lake Berryessa. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, and they said that this guy just came up to them holding, or they said it's actually Brian. He's the one who survived this attack. So that a man had appeared holding a gun and wearing like a hooded costume with what we now know as the um, Zodiac symbol that, you know, is associated with him. He says that he's escaped from prison and he needed their money and a car to escape to Mexico. So he ends up binding them and, um, you know, just putting them there. So Brian and from what he says about Cecilia, they were just like, you know, obviously scared, hoping they wouldn't get hurt. And then, um, moving, you know, hopefully able to move on after he stole whatever. Um, but he essentially takes this knife out of his bag and stabs Brian six times and then stabs Cecilia ten times as she's fighting trying to fight him off. He then goes to Brian's car and he uses a pen to draw his zodiac symbol with the dates and locations of the previous attacks. Um, there was a man... Who then calls the Napa Police Department to report that a double murder happened? And he gives a description of Brian's car, directs him to the scene, and confesses that he was the one who did it. They find out that this call came from a payphone at a car wash in Napa. Um, unfortunately, Cecilia died two days later. Brian did survive his injuries. Um saying Lake Berryessa correctly, thank you. So Again, right, we're dealing with somebody who, much like BTK, we discussed this yesterday, he made up these stories, you know, when he was ambushing people in their own home saying, like, I'm a wanted man, I just need food and a car and money, and I won't hurt you, I promise. But then... Okay. Sorry. I had to yell at my dog who is well-nourished and fine and healthy and loved very much. Okay. So, (laughs) um, much like him, we, we dealt with somebody who was wanting that attention, but making up these stories for no good reason, because I'm walking into this house to murder people. Like those were the intentions behind it, but maybe they were, you know, hope maybe thinking of the possibility that somebody might survive these crimes. So they want to be able to have something to throw off law enforcement. So um, with BTK, the story was that he was a man who was wanted and, you know, he needed to um, get money and et cetera. And that's the information that victims who survived his crimes would say to the police. Same for the Zodiac is that, Oh, I'm a man wanted and I'm trying to go to Mexico. Um, but I always think I always think it's interesting when a killer calls to notify the police that they've committed these crimes and where to find the bodies. BTK did the same thing. He called and would tell the police, you know, this is where you can find um, a crime that's happened. Think about Robert Durst. Um, he was recently in the news convicted, thankfully, for the death of, or for the murder of Susan Berman. Um he did the same thing, although he didn't call. He wrote a letter that's even more, you know, ridiculous, I would say, of being able to say, like, yes, definitively, this is who wrote this letter, even though he tried to deny it. Um, it's it's things like that. It's I think to me, this is more of a thrill of the of the catch. Like for them, it's not so much about the logistics or the logical sense of being caught. This is like, ooh, it's a cat and mouse game for them. And I think that that's what kind of makes them a little bit more dangerous is that they enjoy the thrill. And so they're willing to take more risks to be able to get that thrill. Um, So, yeah, so that's what we got from the Hartnell case and the letters or the message that was written on his door. And then October comes around in 1969. So, again, the last one happened September 27th. And then October 11th, just a few weeks later, we have another victim um, that happens. And this is Paul Stein. He was working as a cab driver in San Francisco, and he picked up a fare headed to um, Presidio Heights. It's a neighborhood in San Francisco. Um, When he gets to an intersection at Washington and Cherry the passenger ends up shooting him in the head and removes a piece of his shirt. So taking a trophy, if you will. Um, The man just walks away before police arrived. And this is one of the things that's played up in that movie that Jake Gyllenhaal is in um, on the Zodiac, because this is where people think that if they had just run a little faster or if they would have trusted their gut, we would have caught him right then and there. Um, so he ends up, the passenger gets out of the car, starts walking away. Um, and then the police arrive, but the broadcast is that there's a black man who's the suspect of the crime. And there's an officer who ends up passing who he believes now is a Zodiac. And that's a white man, um, who resembles everything but the skin color of the description, but he lets him go. Um, So witnesses from that, because it was done so openly in in public, that there were multiple witnesses who did see him and were able to give a description of the killer. And that's where we get this sketch from that everybody sees um, for the Zodiac. So this initially was not linked to the Zodiac because they thought, oh, this was probably just a robbery gone bad. And they chalked it up until... He sends another letter to the San Francisco Chronicle just two days later on October 13th. And he basically says, um, I'm the Zodiac and I'm the murderer of the, um," oh, sorry, he doesn't say I'm the Zodiac. He says, I'm the murderer of the taxi driver. And he includes the um, shirt that he, the piece of shirt that he took from Paul Stein he denies that he left any fingerprints and claimed that the police sketch was inaccurate because he wore a dis- a, a disguise. But um, that, I think, is just merely a distraction to keep police off of his trail. I, I don't think that he was. I'm pretty sure he wasn't. There was multiple people who saw this um, after the fact, you know, and he may have worn something but may have taken it off because i can't imagine that you get out of a taxi cab wearing a disguise or like the hood thing that the zodiac is known to wear or was known to wear and just expect people to not see you so who knows um so yeah then he sends more letters on the 8th and 9th and then um on the 20th so the 8th and 9th he sends to the chronicle And then on the 20th of December, he sends a letter to famous attorney Melvin Belly. Um, The one that he sent to the Chronicle first um, was basically another piece of the cab driver's shirt, a greeting card with a cipher in it, uh, which had 340 symbols, and then added Des July, August, September, October equals seven, which was what a lot of people think is a reference to more victims that there's likely more victims during those months that happened, but obviously we don't know. Um, then he sends a seven page letter a few, uh, the next day to the Chronicle. This is the longest letter that he's ever sent. And that's the only one they have. And he basically says that police stopped him near the crime scene, but let him go. He also includes a bomb recipe and a diagram of the explosive. So people are on obviously high alert during this time thinking that he is now going to escalate into bombing and, um, you know, getting a bigger audience. You guys don't step down as speakers. <laughs> I keep, I'm in the chat, but I'm also like not seeing speaker requests. class. So if you want to pop up and give your thoughts, feel free to, I'm always open and happy to hear from everybody so then the letter he sends over to melvin belly was a month later essentially and he basically says it's it's a letter like a plea letter and he says he's afraid he's going to kill again and he's asking melvin to to help him and to intercede of course how is he going to intercede if he has no idea who you are and so the letter ends with him saying, please help me. I cannot remain in control for much longer, but I don't necessarily think that that was an actual letter requesting help. I think it's, this is just another, um, plea for attention, right? I, I think it's part of his cat and mouse game that he is very much, um, not wanting to be stopped because he, he enjoys it. Think about, um, I think the golden state killer, uh, Joseph D'Angelo He was always from what victims who survived his um, attack said he was like whispering things to himself about not being able to control himself and not being able to stop. But again, I I don't think that he wanted to stop. I think that this is exactly what he wanted to do. Um, Very similar in the sense like. Mentality wise to BTK, Um, I try not to harp on it too much because I know that it's a case that I'm extremely interested in just from the psychology standpoint of it. But, um, Dennis Rader thought the same thing. He blamed a lot of his actions on what he called factor X. Um, and it was a way for him to dissociate from the crimes he committed and say like, Oh, Dennis Rader, the man is God fearing and he's a good husband and a good father, but factor X is what makes Dennis a bad boy, if you will. Um, but, I, you know, I, I think that that was just a way for him to say, um, I know society wants an explanation. And so the only explanation I can give is that X made me do this um, and that will be OK, because as long as they know Dennis was a good guy, then, um, you know, X will be responsible for the crimes, essentially. And they can't blame Dennis. He's suffering from, you know, mental health issues, blah, blah, blah. But his daughter, Carrie Rawson, she um, published a book and basically dispels all of that. She gives insight into her home life with her father. And as much as Dennis tries to say that he was a good dad and um, was, you know, present and he had a happy life, happy wife, et cetera, that isn't necessarily true from Carrie's perspective. You know, her father was domineering. He attacked her brother at a dinner um, and he had control over his family and would easily be upset if he lost control during that time, um, to by, you know, to his wife or to his children, et cetera. So even Dennis lives in kind of like this la la land of what his life was really like, um, and the life he created for his family, you know? So I don't necessarily believe that that was an actual plea for help because, He didn't give any information that would help identify him. He didn't say meet me here and blah, blah, blah. I'm sure that Melvin Belly um, would have taken the opportunity to meet with him and, you know, be his attorney if that was the case. But I don't think that that's actually what happened. Um, So he goes dormant for a while. So the last crime we have happened October of 1969, and the next one doesn't happen until March of 1970. Um, Now, this is not a for sure link to the Zodiac. This is happening in the Modesto area. Um, A woman named Kathleen Johns says that she is leaving to um, go to San Bernardino. She has her daughter in the car because she's going to um, take care of her mom who's sick. She was actually pregnant at the time and she was on Highway 132 near Modesto when another vehicle pulled along her car and they signaled that she needed to pull over. Um, So she does. And again, let's remember, like now we have our 2021 brains on where we would never pull over when somebody other than maybe the cop sells this to. Um, But back then, right. We remember we have people hitchhiking pretty openly all the time. So even though there were deaths, a la Ted Bundy um, who would pick up hitchhikers, Eileen Mornos, et cetera, um, you know, killers who would pick up hitchhikers. A lot of people still did it. Um, So to me, it's not as weird in the seventies to pull over to the side of the road, especially when you're a woman and say, if it's a man telling you to pull over, you're like, Oh crap, something's wrong with my car. I'm pregnant. I have no idea how to fix it. So thank God, you know, this dude's letting me know and hopefully he'll help me fix it. Right. That's just kind of what you may think during that time. So she pulls over the driver comes out and he says, Hey, there's a wheel that's loose on your car. And it's probably because of your, um, lug nuts or something like that. So he's like, you know what? I'll fix it for you. Don't worry. So she's like, oh, great. Thank you. But he ends up doing the opposite of that. Um, He realizes, or she kind of gets a weird feeling. So she's like, you know what? Uh, Forget this. So she starts to try driving away, but he ends up taking the lug nuts off and her wheel falls off. So then he offers to give her a ride to the gas station, but she, she was like, um... This is a little weird, but I'm still going to take it because now I got to figure out how to get the wheel on my car. Um, So she gets into his car, but then she's like, "Um, this is strange. And he made some veiled threats to, like, harm her baby. So she grabs her daughter. She jumps from the car. And then a driver who's passing by takes her to a police station where she identifies a stranger from a police sketch of the Zodiac. Um, He ends up in another letter mentioning a rather interesting ride with a woman and her baby. So that's why they think there's a connection there is because he acknowledges it in a letter um, to the Chronicle and stuff. So that happened March of 1970. Then April 20th, he sends another letter to the Chronicle. And then April 28th, a greeting card to the Chronicle. And then nothing for a while until June 26th, where he sends a letter to the Chronicle, then July 24th, and then July 26th. And the 26th, he sends a five-page letter. Um, Most of the letters that he's sending include those ciphers. Again, the diagram of a bomb, and this time he's claiming I'm going to uh, put it at a school bus so that it can kill multiple children. And there was a police station bombing that had happened that people believed... Um, was associated with the Zodiac because he had put in the letter that diagram for the bomb previously. Um, But he, in that letter to the Chronicle, says, nope, not me. Find you another boy. Um, Then he sends a greeting card. So we talked about the greeting card a little bit, but, again, it's another bomb threat. And I don't know why he's sending these bomb threats because maybe that's the only way, for some reason, if he's not able to go out and commit crimes maybe that's the way he's getting his thrill um, is by sending these letters to the Chronicle that he knows are going to be published to the wider public. That's going to have police kind of running around trying to figure out where bombs are going to be placed. um, And that there should be people kind of worshiping him. And he's like, everybody should be wearing a Zodiac button, which is his crossed circle thing that we now associate with him. So He's also just basically wanting people to worship him for what he's doing. And again, the whole grandiose sense of self and worth is very apparent in the letters he. I don't think that the ciphers mean anything. I don't think that there's a hidden message in them. I think it's truly just like, I think I'm being a genius, so I'm randomly putting these things together. Um, that's just me. I don't know what you guys think. If you have other theories about it, feel free to share it in the chat or hop on up. But to me, I don't necessarily think that any of these ciphers mean anything whatsoever. I think it's just his way of messing with the police. And if this person is still alive, if it's not post, think of how much pleasure he's getting from the fact that the greatest minds in America and all over the world are unable to crack his ciphers. Like he's getting the thrill from all of this, you know? um that's not to say that their efforts you know that they shouldn't be putting in those efforts to try and decipher them um because everything i think in a case should be investigated every piece of evidence you know should either be you know discounted or proved or whatever so i don't know it just kind of depends but i t- personally don't think that the ciphers mean anything i don't have anything to base it on other than that's just kind of what my gut is telling me um and i could be wrong so it happens all the time. So the other letter he sends in June is the first time he gives an actual location for um, a bomb. He says, here's where I put this bomb. And he says it's on the pink of Mount Diablo um, in the Bay area, which again, I think is BS, right? Cause if he's, if he's truly trying to, and I've never been to Mount Diablo. So I, uh, Josephine, if you're you were in the area or you are in the area, I don't know if it's a place that is frequently um, visited by people. If there's like a large like I think about Runyon Canyon or Laurel Canyon in um, L.A. And, you know, that's always busy with people and stuff. So is that the same thing as Mount Diablo where people are there all day? And so if a bomb was put there, there's going to be some mass mass casualty happening. That's my dog. He's fine. He's old. He's just hungry, but he will be fed soon. Don't worry. Um, And then that's also where he takes claim for another crime, but he doesn't give any details on it. So, again, makes me just think that he's probably dormant and just trying to get a a thrill out of this letter. Um, Then in July, he sends another letter to the Chronicle saying, like, guys, I told you to tell people to wear these Zodiac buttons and nobody is doing it. Um, and that's where he mentions the failed abduction of Kathleen Johns, where he says, oh, I went on an interesting ride with a mom and her kid. But again, you know, whatever. He sends a five page letter to the Chronicle on the 26th and he describes torturing his victims and then gives a quote from the um, musical called The Mikado, where. it, You know, I don't know. He just says that the, um, I don't remember the quote that he used, but it was something ridiculous and let's see. Okay. So then the Mount Diablo thing comes up again. And he says that the Mount Diablo code concerned geometric angles knows known as radians. And listen, my husband's dad is a straight up like YouTube conspiracist, right? Like conspiracy theorist, I guess, whatever you call them. So when I hear anything about like geometric angles, I'm like, okay. Okay. One of those. So again, I, I think it's just messing with people. I really don't think that he's interested in any of that, but you never know. Uh, okay. So Josephine answering our question about Mount Diablo. She says, not really. There are too many places on the coast and forests nearby to make it a spot like Point Reyes. Ah, gotcha. So yeah. So there would, to me, he's a dude who's always looking for, you know, attention, et cetera. So why would I, put a bomb in a place where there aren't going to be mass casualties that I could be um, accredited for, you know, or credited to. So I don't, I don't believe that that was really a thing, obviously. And I'm sure they looked and discounted it or disproved it. So then September 6, 1970, we have a possible Zodiac murder. This happened in South Lake Tahoe. Um, a postcard They are attributed to the Zodiac featured in advertisement for a condominium project in Lake Tahoe on the Nevada side with phrases like past Lake Tahoe areas and sought victim 12. A lot of people think that this is a this is a clue to a woman who disappeared in that area. Um, Her name is Donna Lass. Um, Donna worked in San Francisco at Letterman General Hospital located on the Presidio military base near where the Zodiac killed the cab driver. Um, So Donna ends up moving to South Lake Tahoe, and she found work as a nurse there for the casino that's there, the Sahara Hotel. Um, But on September 6th, she vanishes vanishes sometime after clocking out of work, which is around 1.50 a.m. Her car is found abandoned near her apartment, and an unidentified man called her employer and her landlord, claiming she had to leave town due to a family emergency. And, of course, Donna family says there was no emergency, um, and the man who made the call was never identified. Um, Her body has never been found. They suspected. Authorities think that she'd been abducted and murdered, but her body wasn't found. Um, Her case still technically is open. It's cold, but um, it was added to the list of maybe being part of the Zodiac because of the article or the clipping he put into one of his letters or the greeting card that references um, South Lake Tahoe or Lake Tahoe. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I think he's getting a little sloppy, right. Um, Which is great for us if they would have caught him, but I think he is getting a little sloppy after, after that. So he sends a suspected card or what we think happened, um, is another card in 1970. He sends a Halloween card to the San Francisco Chronicle near Halloween. And then he sends a letter to the LA times and another postcard to a specific reporter named Paul Avery at the, at the uh, Chronicle. So he's just, to me, the letters start not making any sense anymore. They're kind of just like ramblings and, and, he also starts taking credit or, you know, kind of messes around with the reader saying like, oh, it may have been responsible for Sherry Jo Bates. Who knows? Um, a, a lot of those letters, especially in the 70s, to me were very like not in line with what he was, what he normally did. Um, so it, it, it's a little bit difficult to think that those are, on the same par as his previous letters. Um, So people think like, okay, he might be, he might be dead because there's, there hasn't been a lot of um, crimes happening that match his MO and maybe we're, maybe we're done. You know, maybe he's been locked up or put away, or maybe he did die, but he puts that notion to rest because he sends a letter to the Albany times union in New York in 73. And he sends um, his little symbol with a letter that says you're wrong. I'm not dead or in the hospital. I'm alive and well, and I'm going to start killing again below is the name and location of my next victim. But you had better hurry because I'm going to kill her August 10th at 5 PM. When the shift change Albany is a nice town. Below the message, he puts in some ciphers and um, the FBI crypto analysis deciphered the message to read, redacted, they don't left that, they leave that part out, Albany Medical Center. Um, This is only the beginning. And they weren't able to find any victims who either worked there or anything like that. And they couldn't determine, um, handwriting experts, they really couldn't even determine if this was actually prepared by the Zodiac. So they couldn't confirm officially or say completely that he didn't write it. So again, you never know, you know, Um, then we get more letters, but this time in 74. So he's sending letters and cards, January of 1974. He sends a postcard to the Chronicle and he sends something that says a notation like me 37 SFPD zero. And this was interpreted as like a box score. Like he had 37 victims or 37 crimes and the San Francisco PD was unable to solve any of them. Then February 14th, he sends another postcard to the Chronicle and he starts writing about the Symbianese Liberation Army or the SLA Um And he basically just references Patty Hearst, and it makes no sense as a letter whatsoever. I I don't know what he's getting out of any of this, which is also why I'm not a fan of cases like this that have spans so long, because it starts to get murky after a while, because a lot of these letters towards the end aren't necessarily verified as being the Zodiac. Um, So there's a letter or a card he sends in 74 May of 1974. And he basically says that he's a citizen and he complains about the glorification of violence in newspaper ads, specifically referencing the movie The Badlands, which is about Richard Starkweather and his 14 year old girlfriend um, going on this killing spree after murdering her family. Um, Which side note. I think I covered the Starkweather case on crimes of passion. And so I would recommend listening to that because it's not the case you think it is. If you think that his girlfriend um, had any involvement in that. So just keep that in mind. Um, then on July 8th, 1974, the writer of that letter complains that the columnist, Marco Spinelli has a severe psychological disorder and should be sent back to the hell hole. And then signs his name as the red phantom. And that's the last we hear from him. Don't have any other murders that are attributed to the Zodiac. So essentially he goes dormant in 74. um, Maybe even earlier if we're going by the last official murder that's linked to him. Um, A lot of people think that he may have stopped. I think about Joseph James D'Angelo. Who also had a very long dormant period. I mean, it could have been because he was older, couldn't run away. Like Joseph um, was prone to breaking into homes and then running away, jumping over fences. And so obviously as he got older, he wasn't able to do that. So very curious to know what your thoughts are. Do we still think that he's, if it's not post, do we still think that the Zodiac could be alive? And do we think that he went dormant because he got older etc. Like, what do you guys think? What do you think overall about this news? Um, like I mentioned a billion times already during this chat, I don't think that this is the one. But I could be wrong. That's happened before. But if anybody wants to pop up, give their thoughts and opinions, I'd be happy to hear them. If not, that's okay. Don't be shy. It's okay. You can share all of your thoughts and opinions with it. But, yeah, I just thought it was interesting and I definitely wanted to have a conversation about it. Um, No, he would be ancient. Yeah. So but even then in the 70s. Right. So if he's going dormant in the 70s, think about the multiple decades that have already passed. Um, He's either dead if he was in. You know, maybe his 30s or so or late 20s. Um, That's kind of the range that they gave for this person's like mid twenties, late thirties, whatever. Um, You know, and depending on the type of health they were in things like that, like D'Angelo played up the old man's, you know, rousing, in court. Um, He's like, I can't speak. I can't walk in a high chair or in in a wheelchair. And then you have jailhouse video where he's literally climbing all over his bunk and, you know, like he was very agile even at his age. Now, could he jump over a fence after committing a crime? No, probably not, which is why he didn't do it because the risk of getting caught was too great. But um, you know, I, I'm I'm very if if the zodiac is anything or has the same kind of issues that like Dennis Schrader has, where he has such a high ego and doesn't want other people taking credit for his crime. I wonder if this will be enough because we've had situations where people have claimed to have um, solved the Zodiac and blah, 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 blah. Like, Oh, we think it's this person and um, you know, name them. But I wonder if, if this is untrue, like if post is not the person, if the Zodiac is still alive um, and you know, keeping up with it, Then I wonder if this would be enough for him to try and come back out and say, hey, I did it. Now, I think with the advancements of technology, he would have a really hard time writing some letters and not um, not being identified. I think anything now, especially with crimes like that, where a person likes to write letters or likes to communicate with law enforcement, it's going to be a little bit more difficult to stay under the radar in that sense. So I don't think he'll risk it to come out if it is, um, somebody else, or if he's passed on, then obviously we'll never know. And this is just going to be one of those cases that lives on in the true crime ether of being unsolved and much like Jack the Ripper, DB Cooper, those, you know, those kinds of cases, we're just going to always, um, and Jimmy Hoffa, if you will, like we're always going to have those cases that kind of just boggle our minds as, um, consumers of true crime and people who consider themselves to be armchair detectives and wanting to find resolution and being that person that finds it. So I don't know, there's a lot of things to think about in regards to that. But um, ultimately the message I want to share is that if you guys are engaging um, on any type of social media platform where you're sharing the story, uh, I would recommend just to give a little caveat that it's still unsolved until it's official from um, the San Francisco PD or the FBI, whoever is investigating it and has control over the case, that they actually give a confirmation about it. Because um, right now it's all conjecture. You know, it's it's none of what they gave us is um, solid, right? Um, if it was, then I'm sure we would have a lot of breaking news conferences and law enforcement agencies coming together to pat themselves on the back for solving the case. Um, but we haven't seen that. So, I don't, you know, I don't trust it. And if TMZ is reporting it, for God's sakes, guys, come on, really. But anywho, that's just me. Well, I think I'm going to go ahead and cap it at that. If nobody wants to pop up and share their thoughts. um, Thank you for engaging in the chat. Wonderful. I love all of the gifs and I love interacting with you guys in general. Um, Thank you again to Sarah, if you're still in the room, for joining me and sharing your thoughts on the crime. I hope that everybody else has a great evening. And if anybody wants to share um, any case suggestions or anything like that, feel free to click on my picture. You can follow me on Twitter and tweet at me what cases you want to hear for true crime convos? That happens every Tuesday at 6pm Central Standard Time right here on Spotify Greenroom. And of course, if there's any breaking true crime news, You're going to hear it from me on Spotify Greenroom. So I hope everybody has a good night. Thanks for joining me.